The Irish Nation, welcome to our first show of the calendar year 2023, our second to last show in our second season of Gyrish Talk, and we are here as Gator Bowl champs with Notre Dame coming away victorious over the South Carolina Gamecocks. Mike, happy New Year's, happy holidays. It's been a couple weeks since we caught up, uh, at least in person here um, or, or over Zoom. Uh, how's your holidays? Holidays were great. I was in Minnesota for part of it, which we talked about that last episode, which it's where Brett's from, so he's very familiar with how cold it can be. It was negative 30 degrees, wind chill, a few days. I uh, We met up with some friends, me and my wife, and we literally walked just one city block. We thought that that would be fine, and our faces were essentially frozen solid by the time that we got there. So we learned <laughs> our lesson there. You don't want to go outside at all when it's that cold. Uh, and then after that, we went to Florida. And Florida was a little cold, but by the end of it, we actually had a couple sunny days. I think I, I looked at the temperature discrepancy between the coldest in Minnesota and the warmest in Florida, and it was over 100 degrees. Within wow. a week, it was a over 100-degree flip. So pretty dramatic. But holidays were That's great. Awesome. I got to, yeah, I got to spend a lot of time with family. College football bowl season has been fantastic. I, I don't know what it is about this year, but it just seems like there's a much higher rate of compelling college football bowl games this year than usual. And then the playoffs, the playoffs were, those were fantastic. Those, that was by far the best semifinal round that we ever had. Really compelling games. So I've just, I've just been enjoying watching football the whole time. Just, uh, just a great break. Back at, back at work now, but I will say the last couple of weeks just relaxing, watching nonstop football, and then having those games just be really fun to watch made for a really great holiday season. Well, for everything that you and I know about the college game, we clearly don't know anything about the NFL because Mike and I are in a fantasy football league together. We were playing for the last place Sacco trophy, and I will admit I finished victorious. And so Mike took home the Sacco trophy this year. But for New Year's Eve, we, we had some um, friends in town here in Atlanta, including Danny, who, who co-hosted uh, the Clemson episode earlier this year. So shout out Danny. That Thanks again for what I think turned out to be our episode with the most downloads. Um, so clearly co-host Danny r- really came in clutch there along with another buddy of ours, Ian, and specifically want to shout out uh, Ian's wife, Kate, who has been waking up all fall to hearing our voices um, as Ian listens to the podcast while, while getting ready for work. So appreciate them coming down. Kate, there's only two more shows on the season and then you've got an entire off season where you don't have to hear my voice in the morning um but excited to get into this one and, and recap the gator bowl wait brett i thought we were pivoting to a weekly fantasy baseball podcast oh yep sorry kate we, we we've got a <laughs> full off-season schedule lined up on notre dame baseball <laughs> i got so i have one comment on our fantasy football league so brett and i typically have been near the top of the league I'm not, I'm, I'm not bragging. We off have typically, and we have arguments. There are different ways you can measure who has been better historically. I obviously, I have the opinion that generally my, my record has, has put me near the top. And it's funny, like, we always argue about this going into the year. And then this year, both of our teams were just god awful. Just really, really bad. As Brett said, we ended up in last place. Um, unfortunately, it looks like you're going to overtake me this year. So I get the last place. That's a big, it's a big blemish, I'll admit, on the record, but we'll see. I got hopefully I can turn it around next year. Um, so anyway, uh, moving into the show more, just a reminder for our listeners, go follow the show, subscribe, get those alerts and automatic downloads. As, as Brett mentioned, we just have one more show coming next week and in that one, we'll actually hand out season grades and look back at which players were most impactful for the year. And then we'll also do a way too early look ahead to 2023. All right. With that, let's dive into the Gator Bowl. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on football this holiday season. 
same game parlays, easy and fast payouts, player pop, uh, player prop options, and much, much more. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets, like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger the shot you have to win big. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code TPPN. That's T-P-P-N. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN. Minimum age of 21 and eligibility restrictions uh, Eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. The chance to lead the football program at the University of Notre Dame is an opportunity of a lifetime. And I would never take that for granted. Being this leader of this program, it isn't about one person, and it never will be. Being the leader of this program is about understanding to be successful on this journey, it's going to take others. And we're going to have to do this as a team. Notre Dame comes away from the Gator Bowl victorious, 45-38. The first bowl game victory in the Marcus Freeman era now going to one and one in, in bowl games. And we said in the preview that we normally try to hype down expectations for bowl games. They're really exhibition games. You've got opt-outs. You've got transfer portals. There's a lot of different things going on. And so it's really hard to evaluate a team in a bowl game. But this was a really exciting matchup of two top 20 teams. Both clearly showed up to play and, and it was just really entertaining as a football fan. So, before we get into certain storylines of the game, Mike, you want to take us through some of the quick reactions you and I were, were talking about as, as we were watching the game and, and then following up just to really how exciting and, and close this game was. Definitely. I mean, you hit on it. It was a really exciting game. I think Notre Dame, we came out a little slower than we would have liked initially, but really turned it on at the end. Two top 20 teams, both teams that have performed really well at times this year and teams that performed pretty poorly at times this year. And you kind of saw that within the game. There were times South Carolina looked really good. Notre Dame looked, looked a little bit weaker and then, and then it flipped. So this game kind of represented what we saw from both of these teams all year. Now getting into some high level advanced stats, one that we always talk about is success rate. South Carolina and Notre Dame, their success rates were, were pretty, pretty much even. South Carolina, they had a success rate of 42%. Notre Dame, we had a success rate of 43%. So in terms of moving the ball downfield, keeping the offense uh, on on schedule, both teams were about the same. I, we talk about what a good success rate is. Typically, you want to be above 45%. So both teams were a little bit a little bit lower than that. But in terms of how they stacked up against each other, it, it's pretty even. And then another advanced metric that we always talk about is, is havoc rate. So neither team generated... Uh, a particularly large number of of uh, havoc plays. There were c- certainly some very notable ones. So for South Carolina, certainly they had the pick sixes. We we recovered a fumble as well. But if you look at how many plays on average each team was generating, one of these like impact plays, it really wasn't that much. Notre Dame only had a havoc rate of eight percent, and South Carolina had uh, had a havoc rate of ten percent. So we have these memorable moments from the game with some big interceptions, some big turnovers, but. Overall, this wasn't something that the teams were doing regularly throughout the game. And then one other call out I want, I want to make, just another observation I had was just, this was a headline that you saw in the pregame, was the special teams. These are two of the most talked about special teams units in the entire country. Certainly Notre Dame with our block punts, 
we uh, just Brian Mason's unit. It just felt like each game we were getting a, a blocked punt. South Carolina, on the other end, they, they had plenty of blocked punts and blocked uh, kicks too. So going into this, there was a question of whether each of these teams, would they be able to continue the magic that they had created throughout the season on special teams? And they, and they didn't disappoint. Both teams converted a fake. And then Notre Dame, we also had some some crucial big returns. So uh, certainly from that end, we didn't disappoint. But those, Brett, at least from, from my standpoint, those were some of the big key takeaways that, that I had on the game. Yeah, a, a really even matchup. And, and ultimately, there were two things that went in each team's favor. In, in favor of South Carolina was the turnover battle. Notre Dame had three turnovers, although somewhat offset that by forcing two South Carolina turnovers of our own. However, th- two of our three turnovers were, of course, the, the critical pick sixes by Tyler Buckner, which we'll break them down here in a little bit. But what more than offset that was Notre Dame's explosiveness on offense. So in this game, South Carolina had 14 plays of 10 yards or more and four plays of 20 yards or more. But critically, Al Golden really made great in-game adjustments. Marcus Freeman should get a lot of credit for the in-game adjustments. Uh, just four 10-plus yard plays in the second half. Uh, when Notre Dame forced five three and outs, including four in a row to really go and, and take this game away. So Notre Dame's defense locked down. And then on offense, Notre Dame had 20 plays over 10 yards, 11 of those in the second half, six plays over 20 yards, including a 75-yarder, 44-yarder, and 39-yarder. And that's not Notre Dame's MO. If, if you look over the course of the year, um, the average team has about 14 plays of 10 yards or more in a game. Notre Dame is below average in the country at about 12 and a half. So this has not been an explosive offense. We haven't seen a lot of those chunk plays. And we went and rattled off 20 in this game. And, you know, just for context, um, only one team in the country, uh, Texas Tech, has, has averaged that level over the course of the season. So a really high-end performance to go and get that many chunk plays from our offense. It was really the difference in this game with Braden Lindsey, and uh, Logan Diggs breaking out for some big, long touchdowns really ultimately wound up being the deciding factor in this one. Yeah, and so you talked about the explosiveness. That was really the deciding factor, I think, for Notre Dame here. And that helps lead into our next point, something we both want to talk about is Tyler Buckner. That was something going into this game. That was one of our key points of emphasis to really see how how Tyler Buckner looks after after a long layover this year. And I think... That explosiveness, I don't think it's a coincidence that this is the most explosive our, our team has looked really this season is when Tyler Buckner, uh, a dynamic QB with a lot of potential, uh, made a start. We said he was the biggest storyline coming into this game, and I think after the game that that holds true here. So it was a bit of a roller coaster. Buckner, he had three picks, as, as uh, I mentioned, the, the two pick sixes, but he also accounted from that potential explosiveness other side of things, he accounted for five total touchdowns. Diving into that a little bit more, those interceptions, they were all on non-blitzes. And then two of the three, I believe both pick sixes actually, were on clean pockets with no pressure. So my takeaway is that that's a player with some rust, someone who hasn't really played a whole lot this year. And actually, with Buck- in Buckner's case, he's someone who hasn't really had a whole lot of reps in general since high school. He's just been hurt a lot. So it's someone who is maybe having a little difficulty reading defenses just because he hasn't gotten those reps in. But if you look at how he performed under pressure, he actually did pretty well. Under blitzes, he was, yeah, he, he did good there as well. So I think what we saw with him was that there was a little bit of rust. We still have that element where it's a QB who needs to develop a little bit more, get a little better at reading defenses. And there's no reason to think that he won't get there. He's just got to stay healthy. But 
we also saw his potential. We saw how effective he could be. He just opens up the playbook because of his athleticism, his ability to run. One point that we've talked about. Oh, go ahead, Brett. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I was just going to jump in on, on opening up the playbook. Um, we had 15 play action pass attempts in this game. That was about 50% of dropbacks. We talked about this all year with Drew Pine, where, where we were hoping to see more play action, where with Drew Pine, it was only 25 to 30% of the time. And so what we maybe saw more of in this game is, is an acknowledgement that Tom Reese just doesn't think without a credible running threat at quarterback that using the RPO as much, using that play action as a staple will, will be as effective with someone like Drew Pine. But with Buckner, Reese was very willing to go to that play action and, and it was really effective. And it's also worth noting, um, you know, on those play action plays, they were, they were the explosiveness. We averaged 13 yards per attempt on, on play action, despite, um, only completing about 55% of those throws. And then he just becomes a matchup nightmare when you need to account for his running the ball. So excluding sacks, Buckner had 12 carries for 80 yards in this game. Um, that's wild. Like that's six, seven yards a carry. That, that's an extremely effective game. Seven of those 12 carries, he picked up first downs. Um, two of those 12 carries he, he took in for touchdowns. So even if Tyler Buckner has some turnover issues, that is hopefully more rust and lack of experience. His ability to open up the playbook with more play action, more misdirection, more kind of full dis- full playbook at Tom Reese's disposal, combined with the running threat, you can easily see a path to an elite offense that, you know, even if he's only completing 55, 60% of his passes, but it's opening up the run game for Diggs and Estime. It's adding another dimension to the run game with Buckner's legs. And if he's only completing 55, 60% of his throws like he was in this game, but they're more explosive. They're better deep balls. They're getting it downfield to Braden Lindsay. Like there's real big time shot taking ability with Buckner. That's a really nice looking recipe for, for where Tom Reese could, could take this offense with Tyler Buckner. Yeah, I agree with that. It's exciting. Again, we saw the rust, but then as, as I mentioned before, we also saw the, the upside. And I think. I'll use, I think Caleb Williams, I think his completion percentage this year was 66%, and he's, he's athletic. He generates a lot of big plays. If you see Buckner, if he develops to the point to where he can start completing around 65% of his plays, that's that's elite offense, high, potentially a Heisman-level quarterback there. We, we saw a top 100 recruit on the field in Tyler Buckner demonstrate why he was a top 100 recruit. And just that potential, that ceiling, whether it's next year or the year after that, or, or at some point in the future, if that continues to develop, um, it was something we weren't able to see in the Ohio State games because of how good Ohio State is and clearly didn't show up in the Marshall game. But you're kind of talking about two games, right? It was great to get a data point here in the right direction for Buckner going into the offseason. Yeah, definitely. Now, moving in to the play calling, which is a topic we, we discussed I'd say pretty frequently this year, and at times we've been critical of Tommy Reese, but I think our stance has shifted over the year to, we've become, to where we've become much more understanding, and I, th- I think at times, I think we've now shifted to a position where we actually have become very appreciative of his play calling. We, we think he's done a lot of good things this year, especially given the, the deck that he was handed. And so this game in particular, we thought he did a really good job. So a lot of the different stats that we measure in terms of what types of plays are more effective than others, it seemed like Tom Reese... Has, it seemed like this game in particular, he was really leaning into that. You already hit on the play action. But one one point that we've mentioned throughout the year is uh, 
is uh, just the running game. And so in the 41 rushes in this game, we had that weren't QB Neals. Only 25% were up the middle. Throughout the year, we've mentioned that these runs up the middle, they're not as effective as outside runs. Earlier in the year, we were running it up the middle more. And then when we started running it outside more, we started to see more effectiveness from the run game. Well, we saw that here. So only 25% up the middle. Those averaged five yards per carry. And then if you look at the ones that went to the outside, we got eight yards per carry on the outside. So that's a great balance right there. It seems like Tommy Reese, seems like he, he, uh, he really leaned into the strengths of the run game there. And then actually just more broadly, if we look at run versus pass, we had 36 dropbacks versus 41 run attempts, excluding QB, QB, uh, kneel downs. So great balance just from like a run versus pass standpoint. And that, again, that keeps the defense off balance if you can do a lot of different things. We already mentioned the 50% of dropback drop passes were were, uh, were play action. So I think the, the cumulative impact of all this is South Carolina was just guessing all game. And we were generating seven yards per play. If Buckner doesn't throw two pick sixes, I think that we – I think this game becomes a pretty big route. I think we saw kind of how this offense could look if Tommy Reese has a more dynamic QB. We saw the pick sixes, which was due to rust. But if you throw those out – this was a pretty pretty explosive offense. This is the type of offense that I think we've been clamoring for 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 years, frankly. For sure. And, and look, South Carolina is not a top twenty five defense, right? So uh, opponent matters, and, and they had some opt outs. But we also didn't have Mike Mayer, um, clearly our best offensive player, going up against an SEC defense and somewhat of a road environment. Like way more South Carolina people showed up in Jacksonville, Florida than, than Notre Dame. If you're getting seven yards of carry against uh, seven yards of play against an SEC defense. That's a great day at the office. If you're putting up 45 points against an SEC defense, that's a great day at the offense. So, you know, despite the pick sixes, um, overall, this was a great game plan and, and great execution by, by Tom Reese in the offense. It's important to talk about the pick sixes too. Um, Notre Dame message boards, Twitter, our friends and family were frankly furious over Tom Reese choosing to pass the ball on first and goal. Um, from the seven yard line, despite really moving down the field, um, with successful run. And Mike, you and I had a healthy debate on this. And I think we've maybe both moved our, our view a little bit. As I watched it real time, there were eight guys definitely in the box and, and a ninth, the safety really hedging hard into the box. And we've seen this all year, even if it's a good run defense or a bad run defense, when, when bad run defenses like Stanford and Marshall just put eight, nine guys in the box. It's a numbers game, and it doesn't matter how good your offensive line is. It doesn't matter how good Audrey Estime is. When there's eight, nine guys in the box, the run game is just not effective, and you need to be able to take advantage of it in the passing game. That was the situation here. They, they put eight in the box, and if you want to be good in the red zone, if they're going to sell out that hard against the run, you've got to have a passing game. And frankly, Tom Reese drew up a really good play call. I thought he got a little cute. So what we were talking about during the game and I didn't even really realize it at first. I, I thought it was just a straight-up wide receiver screen. And if we would have went with just a straight wide receiver screen, we had four-on-two. South Carolina had completely blown coverage, and Jaden Thomas would have had a walk-in touchdown. What the play call actually was, if you break it down a little bit more, was we were trying to fake a wide receiver screen and slip out the tight end. So it's not that the tight end was the second option. It's the tight end where Buckner threw the ball was option number one. And if you rewatch it, he was actually wide open. Um, Greg Fleming, uh, who covers Notre Dame, he's a beat writer that isn't really a beat writer, but does a lot of film analysis and, and has some really good stuff on Twitter. Go, go check him out. Great podcast as well. Um, broke this one down. Uh, Mitchell Evans was, was wide open 
um, and, and beat his man. It's just Buckner had to get the ball over the safety. The safety had almost come up in run defense like a linebacker, and he just had to loft the ball over the defender that was well in front of our tight end. And it would have been a very easy pitch and catch touchdown. Like Reese dialed up the right play. The guy was open and Buckner just threw it on an absolute line and it, it was picked off. All he's got to do is lob that ball over the, the, the defender and get it to the back of the end zone. And it, it's an easy score. So whenever a coach dials something up that should be an easy touchdown, but players just mis execute it. I'm sorry, T- Tom Reese dialed up a good play. Now, if you want to say, look, Tyler Buckner is rusty and inexperienced, and why are you asking him to make complicated reads in the red zone? I maybe understand that argument in a lot of different situations throughout the regular season, but the bowl game is the perfect time to stress test that. Like an exhibition game that doesn't really matter to win the Gator Bowl is the perfect time to give Tyler Buckner that high leverage, high pressure tie, you know, games on the line. You're trying to go win the game. Give him that opportunity to make the right read and make this a learning moment. I actually even like that more in this bowl game to, to use the bowl game as, as a chance to give Tyler Buckner that, that experience and learning moment. So I get it. A lot of people want run the damn ball. Um, we had that in this game. We ran the ball 41 times versus 36 passes with a lot of bounce and a lot of effectiveness and, and a lot of Logan Diggs and Audrey Estime. Um, Tom Reese dialed up a wide open throw for, for Tyler Buckner to go and make, and he just made a really bad throw. Um, the play call is just fine. Yeah, actually, so I like that argument about pressure testing in that situation. That's that's actually one of the more compelling arguments I think I, I, I've heard on this. But I, I agree, this play call actually worked. And Fleming, he did a great job walking walking everyone through the play on Twitter. When actually, Brett, you, Brett had actually convinced me when it was a wide receiver screen that uh, initially I was very skeptical of it. I was very much a run run the damn ball. I had a, very, a run the damn ball uh, perception of the play going into this. And then Brett convinced me that the wide receiver screen, like that would have been fine because that's a very safe play call, which it is. Usually you don't have any big issues that pop up on a wide receiver screen. But then when we found out it was a wide receiver fake, that made it a little bit dicier because that's a little bit riskier. But as you said, the tight end was wide open. I think my perspective here was, and I get, I get the loading the box, the eight, nine, eight, nine people in the box. And generally we haven't been effective with that, but the, at least like watching the game, the South Carolina defense was pretty beaten down at that point. They were pretty exhausted. You could tell their hands were on their knees. They were, they were just gasping for breath. And, there have been times when we actually have been able to run when they put eight or nine players in the box. Clemson comes to mind. And I remember when we were able to do that was when it was in these situations when the other team looked pretty defeated. So I think my perception is still, it probably would have been a little bit safer to to run it. I think it looked like to me, the defense was ready to just tap out. I think a screen certainly would have been fine in this situation as well. I mean, that's pretty safe. We did the fake. It caused a little bit more of a read. I think the pressure Pressure test argument. I think that kind of holds up. See what your QB is made of in a game like I, this. So I that I'm actually, agree, I'm actually by the good. way, this like fake wide receiver screen. It got a little cute. I I totally get that argument. Um, I would just come back to it. It still worked. I I would also say though that that the other reason that would work again, again the other side of it, I think, um, from what I just said is we were up by seven at that point, and there were seven minutes left. Even getting three points there to make it a te- like even if you said you ran it up the middle and nothing happened other than you burned two minutes off the clock and then there's 
five and a half minutes left and you kick a field goal to go up by 10. Um, it, it was certainly risky to go away from something that wasn't at least a little more conservative, like just doing the wide receiver bubble screen. Um, so I, I definitely get there's another side to it. Um, I think it's worth breaking down the film though to realize that the play call actually worked and Buckner yeah. just made a terrible read and a, and a terrible throw. And, and th- that's okay. Like it, it's a learning moment, a bowl game. Um, it's, it's a pretty good, I'd rather him get that out of the way now than, than a regular season game next year. Yeah, definitely. And credit to Tommy Reese, a bit of a risky, I mean, definitely a risky play call there, but it did, it did work. So it shows that he had some pulse on how the defense was probably going to react to it. And they reacted to it exactly how he wanted. And as you said, the problem was Buckner just, I, I mean, I don't, I guess you would say bad read, bad throw, but yes, yeah, so all he needed to do was just throw a little more touch and loft it over, over the defender and it would have worked. So ultimately it's, it's fun talking about situations like this when we won because it's, we're, we're, we're basically nitpicking the game by and large was, was a lot of fun to watch, especially in the second half. Going to a second topic that we brought up in our preview of this game was excited to see a younger wave of defensive player get some snaps. And, and that's exactly what we saw. Ben Morrison played 50 snaps, Jaden Mickey, 29, Jordan Botello, 47, a, a career high for Botello, Prince Colley, 13, Junior Tulamaka, 24, and Jalen Sneed, 17. So a lot of the young linebackers getting into the rotation and hands down the best game we've seen from Jaden Mickey. He graded out really well. He was targeted just three times in this game, gave up two catches for a total of one yard. Um, so thir- 30 snaps in this game, he gives up just one total receiving yard. So really locked down on the outside. Ben Morrison, usual solid self. I mean, he is going to be a preseason All-American next year. Comes up with another huge interception in, in this game. Um, so is excited to see a lot of those guys get snaps. Mike, I'm curious if you got any reactions on, you know, really the linebackers and, and defensive line in this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel really good about the corner position going forward. We just have a lot of talent there. And then we have even more talent. We've talked about, we talked about this in our recruiting episode last week. We have even more talent coming in, but Morrison is really, he's been a revelation. There was a lot of hype about him coming into camp and frankly, he's, he's exceeded all expectations. This is a position where we really needed a player like him to, uh, really needed a player to come in and just be a hit. And, and he's been that, uh, and more. I thought, Sneed, I think Sneed, I believe Sneed had two personal foul penalties. Those mm-hmm. were he did young player. He's probably really amped up. He's from South Carolina. That's worth mentioning. So he certainly he was playing against uh, a hometown team. He probably has a lot of friends on that team. So he's probably a little extra juiced up during this game, and I imagine that's part of it. So alert! It's good to see that he got some snaps because he he was a, a big time prospect coming into the program. Word from Al Golden from practices the last couple months has been that he's been really coming on. So hopefully not a particularly great performance from him, but it's good to see him getting reps and hopefully we see a jump in his performance in, in the off season. But, uh, but yeah, for me, I think the corners for sure. I thought the corners, uh, played well. We, the defensive line, we started to get, we started to get more pressure. I thought, uh, as the game went on in the second half, we started to get after Spencer Rattler a little bit more, a little bit of a slow start initially. Our havoc rate wasn't super high, but at least in the second half, it seemed like we were a bit more, we were, we were making him a little bit more uncomfortable, which was good to see. And then overall, I wasn't too impressed with the linebackers, at least, at least the younger, young backer, linebackers. I thought just not, 
not a particularly compelling performance. I thought they were out of out of position in certain situations. They weren't particularly impactful. Again, they're young, so hopefully they develop. But I think on defense, those were those were my takeaways. Not as not as positive about the linebackers and feeling pretty good about the corners. Yeah, I, I agree. It doesn't feel like the next Jalen Smith appeared in this game. Now Jeremiah Wusukomora definitely took a couple more years for for JOK to develop, right? So it's not to write off Tulamaka or Prince Kali or Jalen Sneed. A lot of talent in those three guys coming up, but didn't see them have a breakout performance in this game or, or really impact it in, in a big way, which is okay. Um, they've got a whole offseason to develop. Um, it's just a few weeks of practice here where they really got more of a role in, in this bowl game, uh, but something to definitely track going to next year. The roster as a whole, you know, we're going to do a way too early look to next season in, in our show next week to, to wrap up the year. But just as a preview, like we talk about this all the time, you, you need to have elite offensive and defensive lines to be a top 25 program. And then to really be a true top five program, you need elite cornerback play, wide receiver play, and quarterback play. Um, I know we lose Patterson and Lug on the offensive line. I know we lose Foskey, possibly the Adam Alola brothers on, on the defensive line, but there's a lot coming back. Joe Walt, Blake Fisher. Um, we talked about Jordan Batella having two sacks in this game and, and, and a lot of depth on, on both of those groups. So feel good there. And the kind of more skilled position players. We talked about how great Jade Mickey and, and Ben Morrison are really coming in their own. Cam Hart's coming back for fifth year. So feel great there. And at the skills positions, you know, this whole year we've talked about how thin we were at wide receiver with Avery Davis's injury, Joe Wilkins injury, Kevin Austin going to the NFL draft. Um, skills positions more broadly. So I'll throw in like Logan Diggs and Audrick Estime and Chris Tyree all coming back next year. Um, huge having multiple years of remaining eligibility for Diggs and Estime. Huge Mitchell Evans. He's not Mike Mayer. No, no one is Mike Mayer, but Mitchell Evans looked very good in this game. And then Jaden Thomas, um, Pace Academy product here out of, um, Atlanta, Georgia. He is looking like a bona fide number one wide receiver next year. And look, ups and downs for Deion Colsey and, and Tobias Merriweather and, and Lorenzo Styles. I know there's more freshmen coming in next year to, to that wide receiver room. Someone's got to step up out of that group as number two. Like there's just now five or six other four stars alongside Jaden Thomas where someone's going to step up. I don't know who, but, but someone will. And it's starting to look like we have real depth at the skills position in a way where like, I don't remember talking about that much depth at, at the skills positions in a long time where we can say we've got two or three legit running backs that could be thousand yard rushers. We've got a bona fide number one wide receiver, but with five other four stars right behind him to compliment. Um, that, that's got me really excited coming out of this bowl game and, and, Frankly, I think Jaden Thomas is top of that list as someone that, that really got me excited seeing him in this game. He's one of those guys, you're watching the game, he just flashes on the screen. He's he's big, he's very imposing, creates, especially for someone his size, good separation, great ball control, great body control. So he's one of those guys that you immediately notice him when you're watching the game when he makes a play. I think one key element going into this year was how our young wide receivers were going to develop. So Styles, unfortunately, did not make the jump that we were hoping, but pretty much everyone else showed very showed a very strong trajectory. Particularly Thomas. Thomas really surged. Colsey looked a lot better as the year went on. Merriweather, 
he's someone who's looking like he should be a hit. He's just got to stay healthy for next year. And then, like you said, then we have, have all these new recruits coming in who are all pretty high-end four-stars. So I'm feeling a lot better about that wide receiver position. Hopefully we don't have any any transfers out. But when you have this much talent, it's just bound that some of these guys are going to make big jumps in their in their in their skill and, and and production. And I'm thinking that's there's a pretty good chance that that's what's going to happen this next year. And as you mentioned, running back room, we've been getting good production out of that position for years. We haven't always recruited the most high end players of that position, but what we have right now in the room, I feel great about. There, there are a lot of like, and actually, someone like Chris Tyree, he was a high end four star. Logan Diggs, he was a a three-star, four-star, depending on the service. But these guys have actually really, uh, I think some of them have uh, really overperformed what, what you would have expected. And we actually, and we have someone like Jeremiah Love coming in next year, which is our highest rated running back that we've gotten in a long time. So you got to feel good about the position there. And then even at quarterback, the Hartman, Sam Hartman, it's, we haven't officially gotten him. The word out there is that we're probably getting him. But if you even look at depth at the quarterback position, assuming someone like Buckner doesn't transfer, that's a pretty good quarterback room. You, if you have someone like Sam Hartman as the starter, someone who's really established, extremely productive, put up really good stats at Wake Forest with not always the best offensive line and maybe maybe just one receiver that he could rely on. You put him in an offense like Notre Dame, I think his completion percentage was 62% last year. You put him in Notre Dame's offense, I mean, it, you, got, you kind of start wondering how much he can actually improve those stats. So I, I think across the board, the offensive skill positions are – it's easy to talk yourself into a very optimistic mindset moving forward. So we'll see. We'll, I'm already kind of getting excited for next year, but these are some of the positions that we haven't done as well at the last couple of years. And, and things are certainly looking up. Yeah. For, for an Owen two start, um, this is about as positive of a kind of, you know, season recap we could be going into the, the one other person we haven't really talked a lot about this year, and I think it's because the defense still sort of feels like Marcus Freeman, but, but we haven't spent a lot of time talking about Al Golden. In this game, uh, South Carolina had one red zone trip and Notre Dame gave up a touchdown. On the year now, Notre Dame finishes dead last in the country in red zone defense. I always think red zone efficiency and turnovers are just sort of sample size where, where things regress to the mean that they're usually not as good as they seem. They're usually not as bad as they seem. But if you finish dead last in the country at allowing red zone touchdowns per red zone trip, um, not good. That being said, we've talked about so many other parts of this defense were really good in the sacks generated, um, in just locking down in, in various moments of games. This was a good example of it, um, forcing four three and outs in a row in the second half to, to really turn this game back to Notre Dame, really give our offense a chance to go and take control of, of this game. And, you know, they, they gave up 17 points in the first 22 minutes of this game, but only seven points in the second half. If you remove the two pick sixes, Notre Dame only gave up 24 points in this game. It's not great, but it's pretty solid. And that, that's kind of what we've been saying all year, right? There's some lapses where it's just like, what are you doing? Why are there that missed assignment? Why was this, that, the other happening? But by and large for the whole game, pretty solid and, and, and able to lock down the other team for full stretches. So this game I'd say is a little bit of a mixed reaction on Al Golden and the entire season's been a little bit of a mixed reaction on, on Al Golden. Um, but something that I think continue to monitor going into next year where if there's still just lapses in the red zone, if there's still lapses for stretches of the game where in the first quarter you give up 17 points, like you just can't do that. You can't show up in a game and just come out that flat. Um, Something to keep an eye on, I think, as as we go into Al Golden's second year as, as the coordinator. 
Yeah, definitely. I just look back on the Clark Lee, Mike Elko defenses, and there was just a level of confidence I had with those defenses. You, you generally knew that they were going to hold up their end of the bargain very consistently, remarkably consistent. And I think I, it kind of, it got me into a false sense of security maybe with what kind of, what I could expect from our defenses. And you also have to give credit to those defensive coordinators for not having as much talent as, as you would expect given their production level. If you look at our roster, our offense has generally had the more talented prospects compared to the defense. But over the last four or five years, our defense has has actually been the unit that's performed uh, extremely well. So I think Golden, you hit on it, Brett. It was a good performance this year, not great. One reason for optimism here is that some of these categories like red zone, basically how many our, our red zone efficiency. Um, how many turnovers we were generating. We, we did particularly bad in that. So if you, if you want to look for a reason to think that we can make a big jump next year, even after losing someone like Foskey and the Adam Alola brothers, I, I would point to that stat. If we can even, if we can even get, if we can stay generally around where we're at in all the other metrics, but even get to middle of the country in, in our red zone, uh, defense, that would, that would cause a pretty dramatic difference in, in, uh, in how many points we're giving up. Overall, coming out of this Gator Bowl win, a lot of optimism for the program, finishing 9-4, and four, heading into the offseason on a positive note. We'll be back next week with more detail on our perspective on season-long grades, along with a look ahead to next year's roster and, and schedule and, and where we think this program goes. Until then, Garish. Garish.